0: Podcast that takes an in depth look at the Cleveland Guardians baseball team and farm system. Presented to you by the waitingfornextyear.com network of podcasts. Here are Gerbs, Mitch, and Ethan. Hello and welcome to another episode of the WFNY Cornercast. Brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network and part of the Waiting for Next Year community. Sort of saying community, I like that a little bit better. Not really sure if we're gonna stick with that. I'm gonna change it probably all the time. Today is the 21st of July, and I am your host, Joe Gerbs Gerberry, alongside Farmer Ethan. Farmer uh, Ethan, we are right at the end. I was gonna say we're at the thick because we're gonna do this yesterday. We're doing it today. Tomorrow, games are back after the All Star break. How has your All Star break been treat- been treating you? I feel like I'm lost. Kind of wandering around with not much yes. going on. This I say today is the day that I'm like, okay, we can get back to it, guys. I know that there's baseball on today, so it kind of helps a little bit. I had to like get in and check my fantasy teams to make sure there was actually players. But I did like the note. I did like not having to log in Monday through Wednesday on the app as I wake up in the morning and check to see if I had anybody that was missing a start. So,
1: I'm kind of going through some withdrawal too, because over the course of this week, I got to watch the Home Run Derby on Monday, which was entertaining as always. But due to circumstances in my personal life, I did miss the All Star game. So, I have been Sans baseball since Monday night when Juan Soto was crowned Home Run Derby champ.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's a. It's a long, it's a weird break. I think I wrote about it a couple years ago, or maybe even last year, that there's a it's a it's nice to like it's a nice gasp of air at this point in time because we've had such a long run of baseball leading up to the all-star break. Um, And then especially for a site like us and someone like me who follows so much uh, of Browns football and guardians baseball that the, the all-star break is kind of the start of almost football season because training camp starts next week for the Browns. And so this is it's a nice, like, okay, like, see see my girls see my family while i have the time mow the yard if i want if i can because it's about to get crazy so and that's where that's where we're at we're about to go into the stretch here of trade season and training camps and other sports and all this fun stuff so buckle up everybody exactly and uh as we're getting ready for training camp as we're getting ready for this stretch run uh, don't forget, guys, to check out BreakingTea.com backslash WFNY. You can check out all your Guardians gear that's there. Um, I haven't checked today to see if there was anything new um, after the All-Star break, but uh, if you did get to watch the All-Star game or saw the highlights, if you were just Ethan and didn't watch, you got to see All-Star Andres uh, make a great defensive play uh, behind the back uh, snag and flip it to the shortstop for a double play. Uh, he's got his night-night shirt on there. Um, if you, uh, watched on Monday, like Ethan did and saw Jose's 17 home runs, he's got a ton of shirts on there, Jose, 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 uh, you're one of the best hitters in the game, dot, dot, dot after me. Uh, and, uh, I don't think they have any class A shirts, even though he struck out the side to save the all-star game. But we do they need to definitely... get
1: or class A one because not only did he strike out the side, but the man was a bad first pitch away from an immaculate inning to save the all-star game.
0: Yes. So, uh, Breaking Tea, get on that. Listen to my podcast and tell me that uh, you are going to get a class A shirt going, working for us here. So, Uh, But, yeah, BreakingTea.com backslash WFNY. Check out all the Guardian stuff that's there, Brown stuff. Get ready for the season. So, as we've been saying, it was the All-Star break, and so we have All-Star things to talk about. Um, As I mentioned, Jose Ramirez was in the All-Star Derby also the all-star derby, the home run derby on Monday um, had 17 home runs in the first, uh, first round. Supposedly ESPN had a problem where they didn't count one of Schwarber's correctly. And he should have tied with Andre, uh, Albert Pujols. But I think, wow. I think Jose was actually would have then been the lowest of the uh, guys that went. But, um, I mean, 17 is a respectable number. We've seen guys in single digits. And uh, you know to to go out there and hit 17. That's no, that's a that's a rare feat. I mean, there's no one's going to come out there, and it's very rare for people to do what Julio Rodriguez did and, and Corey Seager, but uh, but to put 17
1: out there, he's not really a home run hitter. So it, it's nice to see that out of out of Jose. He did better than I thought he would for a couple of reasons. First was that he swung the bat right handed. And- yes. I heard whispers you know, from Joe Buck and the rest of the broadcast crew that maybe somebody in the analytics department at Cleveland had suggested, hey, maybe the ball carries a little bit better to left field in Dodger Stadium. And that could have been the advice he'd taken. But uh, as Cleveland fans, were so used to seeing him hit most of his homers left-handed and pulling right. them into the short portion right in most ballparks. So he did better than I thought he would simply from a sheer numbers standpoint. He got lucky. He did hit the foul pole three times. So Hmm. narrow, narrow misses there. Um, But never once did I think he would be 20 plus. I think we all kind of expected him not to get the bonuses. Maybe he could have got into one and got one of those 440 foot home runs, but that's never been his MO. I'm actually curious what his career longest home run is, but it can't be, you know, he doesn't have a 500 foot bomb to his name.
0: Right. We talked about in the early going of the, off season, the the shortened off season that we had about uh, I don't know if we did it in our on here or in our Discord about just the aesthetics of Jose compared to Friend Mill on their home runs. Friend Mill just beats the crap out of the ball, and it's a laser shot that you know barely gets over. Whereas Jose has these just towering moonshots where he you know elevates the crap out of the ball, and that and and it it's it's definitely aesthetics. You know, a home run is a home run, and it counts as a a, a run, a hit, and an RBI, but um, all the same. But, yeah, there's something about Jose is just rainbows that, that you know, it's, it's good in-game, but it's not good as a spectacle. So, uh, you know, and those kind of things. But, you know, so we didn't expect him to do great in the home run derby. He didn't, but he did play well in the actual game. He, went, he was, I think, the only one that went for two for two in his two at-bats that he had, and uh, scored a run on a home run that, uh, I think it was Buxton, or was it Giancarlo that hit the two-run home home run? The two run, home run? Uh, Giancarlo
1: Stanton hit the two run home.
0: had the two-run home run to go ahead in the next hit uh, at-bat. Gotcha. So he was one of the, we'll, we'll say he was the game-winning run, because he was, he was the one that, scored, that was different. He had two home runs for the AL, and those guys scored. And so, yeah, game-winning home run, or game-winning run. Why not? Yeah, can say who's gonna going to stop us? Yeah, right. Free speech. No one's going to come in here. No one's going to come in here and take my microphone away from me. Nobody can read a box score, no, and see that he scored before Buxton. But whatever. <laughs> uh, as we mentioned before, uh, Andre has actually got to start the game due to injury to Jose Altuve. Um, we can argue that Andres has been better than Altuve numbers wise and should have been starting anyway. But he did get to start. Uh, which is just—it's always funny those kinds of things that obviously Jose's the better player has put up better stats this year, but Andres gets to start because of positional uh, differences. So it's, it's funny for that, but um, he did—he uh, did strike out, I think, in his one appearance that he had. And, but as I mentioned, he had the uh, the great defensive play, um, probably of the game, um, ranging. Uh, Way out to his right, and then flipping the ball behind his back to uh the running running to second base, Tim Anderson. And unlike uh most of what he does against the Guardians, he actually caught the ball this time and stepped on the base and made an out. So, cheers, Tim Anderson, you helped out. We'll say that it was because you got fit the ball from Andres with his glove,
1: not his bat. I'm not going to give him that much credit because. That second out only occurs with Vlad Guerrero Jr. making a nice catch at first base. And that is true. I think it was. He, Andy, did, I Andy, he,
0: he did. He did almost throw the ball way up, like towards home plate. Uh, he, like he pulled Vlad way off. And it That's was not a great throw. throw out if
1: it wasn't for Jr.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, maybe Anderson shouldn't get some of the credit. I also don't want to be. I'm knocking on we whatever wood. I'm knocking on whatever wood is around me to make sure that uh, I I don't incur any kind of karma here. On Anderson, all of a sudden turning gold glove against us in, in the coming uh, coming games to remain. Uh, and the third all star for the Guardians, uh, as we mentioned, Emmanuel Clase, him of the uh, the the gas the gas cutter. Uh, Struck out the side, almost had an immaculate inning. Um, he was just unhittable, absolutely unhittable. Kept. I, I think he he owns that bottom left quadrant of the strike zone, and those cutters that hit 100, 101,
1: are, are just unhittable. He's really unfair, man, and he had a fantastic... 10 pitch outing, like I said, his first pitch to, I think it was Cronenworth, the third and final guy he faced, was a ball. But other than that, he got everybody up, down, up, down, up, down. And I think it was, I think it was Jose Trevino behind the dish at that point in the game. And there's a couple of slow-mo shots of some of his pitches as they cross the zone, as they're highlighting the spin and how his ball moves and all of that. And there's just brilliant facial expressions on Trevino as he tries to track and catch Emmanuel Clase cutters and sliders.
0: Well, Trevino, one of the best stories in baseball. Um, the obligatory we have to tag uh, Bodie in any obligatory news that comes out from Trevino because he uh, uh, got to have, I think, some personal time with him in Texas down there um, with some of his with his kids working out and you know, all those kinds of things. But Trevino, just one of the great stories, and uh, there's a really great. Article on the Athletic um, from Ken Rosenthal where they mic'd up uh, Alec Manoa, Alex Manoa I think, and um, Jose Trevino, and they were talking to him and they're just discussing how pitching is is so hard and catching is so hard. And uh, but go ahead and go read that, guys. If you uh, don't have it, I can link that in the uh, the show notes. I'll find it and link it tomorrow. But um, yeah, just one of the just one of the great guys in, in baseball right now. So okay so we've finished up our all-star things uh and so just like i, I know it's it's cliche but you know the cliches or the classics are classics for a reason so we're gonna do first half uh first half winners of awards first half awards here um because we i think the guardians have played have they played of uh, the all star break always happens a little bit after the halfway the actual halfway point um, I don't know that Cleveland has actually played half of their games already because they have so many makeup games.
1: Have they? Have they played eighty-one? They're they're currently at ninety. Okay, forty-four. but we are still four to five-ish games behind everybody's ball at the moment, which is just going to be great. It's going to be a fun doubleheader-filled second half of the season, including one in. Two days, yes. Um, but
0: uh, yeah, so we're gonna do first half awards, uh, team MVP. Uh, I mean, who's, who else is it gonna be? It's gonna be Jose Ramirez. Uh, the guy is absolutely astonishing at what he does, um, has the most uh, plate appearances of anyone on the team most home runs i think he where is he at on the league lead for uh, home runs i know he we there was a point in time where you could make the argument that he was mvp behind guys like judge and or uh, ahead of judge and otani but um he's he's fallen behind a little bit in power rankings now and yeah he's down to 18th in home runs tied with willie adamas and Reese Hoskins and also Shohei Otani who's pitching as great as anybody, but you know what I look at when I'm looking at the these, uh, fan graphs rankings of, of home run. I see a lot of K percentages that are in the double digits. There's only one that has, that is uh, single digits there. And that's Jose Ramirez guys, as good as he is. Uh, guy just doesn't, he doesn't ever strike out 9.9 K rate. Um, he has a 10.7 walk rate, which I mean, when you're compared to guys like Juan Soto, who has a 20, uh, Kyle Schwarber 13, the Aaron Judge 11. I mean, his 10.7 is just as a, the same up there, but those guys are all carrying K percentages in the 20s and 30s, and uh, so it's just it's just amazing to see. Always is is great to see. Um, Wade runs uh, WRC plus uh, 161 on the season makes him six out of the major leagues in that. And uh, yeah, he's just, he's just great. Go ahead and
1: say some more things while I get a drink of water on Jose. You're good, man. No, uh, Jose has been absolutely incredible. Um, I have to confirm my sources on this one, but I do think he ended up uh, the first half leader in all of baseball in extra base hits. He's currently sitting at 64 or 63 of them with 90 games played, which is absolutely incredible. He's got 30 doubles, which is tied for third best in baseball. He's at four triples and he's got 19 home runs. Pair that with 75 RBIs, which leads the American League and is good for second in baseball behind Pete Alonso's 78. There's not that many players who have that combination of plate discipline, walk rate, maybe not necessarily elite power, but hits the ball well almost at any given time, can force almost any pitcher into his count. So obviously we were going to give it to Jose Ramirez because there's always an argument for him to be the league MVP every year. He may have to off in the last... Month and a half or so, and Lord knows what Aaron Judge is doing right now, which is absolutely ballistic. But there's no saying he doesn't come back over the remaining 72 games and put on a show.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, we see guys sometimes the home runner, we can mess up some guys' swings and things like that. We talked about that last week, where, um, you know, so it's possible that he comes out and, you know, starts cutting the crap out of the ball again. Who knows? Um, but he's he's always it's always amazing to watch him, like I said, and, and just how good he can be at, like you said, walking at, at getting getting the pitcher to get him what he what he wants, not what uh, the pitcher wants to do. And so it's, it's great. So uh, team MVP, non Jose Ramirez category. Um, why don't you go? I'll go with mine and then we'll bring up your honorable mention here. Uh, since i i enjoyed that one on the on the rundown um for me it's on, um, andres Jimenez, uh 2.5 f4 on the year uh 138 wrc plus he cut his k rate from last year by 4% which is still um right around the same where it's at for most of the uh most of the league but um so it's down to 21 excuse me Last year was 25.7. So uh, went back to where he was in 2020 uh, and where he's been in the minors. So uh, it's looking a little bit more realistic. But what has really helped Andre is this year because the ISO's up a little bit. um, So he's hitting a little bit more power. But he's added almost 80 points to his average from last year. So he's just literally just getting hits more. Um, it, there's a giant ri- rise in his BABIP, even from his 2020 season where he was uh, decent with the Mets. Um, Forty-point bump in BABIP, so it's not like it's it's not out it's not astronomical. He's not in the 400s; he's at 353 BABIP, so it's it's pretty good. But it's not it's not something that's going to be. It's a true number; it's not an inflated number. So, adding that 90 points to his batting average, 80 points to his batting average is. Just it just helps fuel everything else that comes with it. Helps fuel the uh, just the on base of it all. Helps fuel the ability to get the pitcher to give him what he wants. Um, and, and it will event, and as we're seeing, it's helping the power. Um, he's got 10 home runs on the season already. Um, he's more than doubled his RBI total on the season from last year. Um, hitting as low as he is in the lineup. Can be questionable, but uh, you know he's doing great, and we love Sorry, him. All star Andres uh, for the win. My watch went off uh, randomly. My Siri just decided to like, crap out. So Enjoy Siri that.
1: Andy. Siri wanted to hear you sing the praises of Andres. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, every day. All star Andres.
1: All star Andres, come at come at me again. So yeah, it, it's hard not to, to sing his <laughs> praises. I mean, he's twenty three years old. And I think he's 17th in baseball in F war right now, which is incredible factoring in his defense, his offense. Um, he's put up two and a half F war in the first half of the season already, which is a five war pace. If you're keeping up at home, which is electric, especially for a 23 year old.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to
1: wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it.
0: to get this kind of um, production from him, but and it's obviously been the, the theme of the year is getting good young production from Cleveland bats, uh, but to get this out of Andres and to have that nice little like smug, he made a All Star game before Francisco Lindor in New York, you know that's always great for us to see and. Uh, yeah, so we're we're excited about him and, and you know he's he's gonna be around for a while and uh we're 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 happy about it. So why don't we go I now see I listed guys on the rundown that we could have mentioned. We could have mentioned Ahmed Rosario, who has been has been good, has been honestly really good with the bat. Um at times the third or fourth best hitter on the team. And the defense has improved at short, not to the point where It makes sense to keep him there with guys that are coming up from the minors. But, you know, he's been good. We also could have mentioned Shane Bieber, 2.8 F4 on the year. Uh, Strikeouts like no, like uh, strikeouts have gone down a little bit. But I mean, he's home run per 9.6%. That's great. Walk rate 5.9. Fantastic. Uh, Left on base percentage 71.9. Doing great. Home run to fly ball ratio, 7.4. One of the best out of his uh career. Could have mentioned him. But we went with your honorable mention. Who's your honorable mention here, uh, Ethan?
1: So I actually for team MVP, I have two relief pitchers listed here. Uh the first one is drum roll, please. Twins reliever Emilio John. Oh, you didn't let me get it. Oh, sorry. I thought you were muted. That's my fault. But I was Emilio muted. Pagan. I was coughing. I was muted, and you
0: Darn told me burned. to do a drum roll, and I came back in. So that's what I, I did. I'm sorry. Keep on with your point. I I ruined. Let's cut this out. Let's do this again. Here, the drum roll.
1: Emilio Pagán. Hey. I still just I, I'm so in love with the stat that we covered about two, three weeks ago, where Pagan was, by win probability added, Cleveland's fourth most valuable player. So I still just want to continue to give him a shout-out and fuel that fire as we approach the second half of the season and can almost guarantee that he does not face the Cleveland Guardians again the rest of this year. They will come up with some kind of injury to not have him on the active roster for whenever those games come around. But the real relief pitcher that I'm going to give my first-half MVP to is – going to be Emmanuel Classe and I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here. The theme of this season so far with Cleveland has been inconsistency. The offense has vanished at multiple times. The pitching has been a roller coaster of a ride as a whole, both the starters and some other parts of the bullpen. Granted, all of that seems to be leveling out and they're starting to play about where we expect them to for the most part. Um, Everybody still has their standard issues. That still giving up a ton of hard contact. Nobody knows what Aaron Savali is right now, and obviously he's dealing with a, a fractured wrist. So sprained. Sprained, I'm sorry. Um don't a, don't give him breaks where don't there, there are no break. breaks. Yes. But I gotta give it to Class A because when you have a rock like that at the back of your bullpen for a team that's either struggling to score runs or he's getting loose on short notice because they score five in the top of the ninth and have a reason to send him out there he's got 19 saves of cleveland's 46 wins which doesn't sound like the greatest ratio it's almost half but his career best so far in the majors was 24 last season when he won the starting job he's just five saves shy of tying that and about half the innings pitched but year over year, in each of Class A's three seasons, his strikeout rate is increasing. He's gone from 8.1 in his first season with Texas to 9.63K per nine. His walk rate is decreased every season from 2.31 as a rookie to 1.41 this season. He's got a career-best batting average against of 165, and he struck out 41 batters in 38 and the third innings. So for a team that has been snake-bitten, on both sides of the ball at any given time, it's nice when neither of them are clicking at the same time, that when you do get into one of those 2-1 or 3-2 squeakers or the team manages to cobble something together at the 7th, 8th, and ninth, that you have, there are no sure things in baseball. But compared to closers that I have watched in my lifetime, Claude is as close to a sure thing as they come.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's He's approaching... I don't want to say the name that I feel like he is, but I don't want it to be that bad or that good. But he's a approaching like Rivera type levels of just dominance, and, and it's uh, it's amazing to see um, and something that we are treated to uh, hopefully more often as we come along this next half of the year. So, um,
1: but and this uh, is one of those times to stick in the oh by the way he's just twenty four and he's here through twenty twenty eight. Yeah, there's I've a to lot watch. to like about that. Gotta love all those things. So,
0: uh, all right, we'll move on to Team Cy Young of the first half. Um, I am going to go off the beaten path and I am going to mention, uh, not the guy I was the, the pitcher I mentioned, I could have mentioned in the team MVP, but uh, Tristan McKenzie, um, age 27. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Getting better as he goes along. Um, there's a correlation. I think you actually mentioned this at some point, and I don't know that you actually knew that I have held it as true. But um, when Tristan has his hair out, he is so much better than he than he is when he has his hair tied uh, up in the the cornrows. So uh, his his season literally this year turned back around after he took his uh, his rose out and, and had the uh, the hair out but um, he's doing better as he's been coming along this year. Kane per nine is down, but um, and, and he's had a little bit of problems with the home runs, but he has established himself as if not the team ace uh, because Bieber has, as Tristan kind of went down a little bit, Bieber came right back up. Um, but Bieber has started to be that, that team ace kind of a guy. Um, cut his uh, walks per nine uh, in half. Um, like I said, the home runs are still a little bit high, but his uh, his strand percent, 83.3 uh, on the year. Um, he's he's pitch mixing with the best of them, and that curveball is almost as unhittable as, as some of the other pitches that he has. But I just wanted to mention him as, as Team Cy Young because – He's just a stopper. And and he's taken on that, that role and that energy for Cleveland in that rotation that uh was once dominant and we you know coming in coming into the year we expected little, I think a little bit better out of uh Pleszak and Savale and Quantrill, And there was argument that Tristan would be the fourth or fifth guy out of the out of the rotation and now he's more likely near the top. Yeah, he, he's more in that conversation for staff ace for number two on the, on the team. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just been, he's been lights out and uh, man, is he skinny. And uh, he's, he is absolutely the team. So young. there, there was a, I don't know who tweeted it. I saw the tweet. I don't know I shared It shared in our discord. It could have been the actual team, but I think it was, uh, it was a day off that they had. Uh, they were on a boat and you could have convinced me that Tristan was one of the one of the rails holding the the uh roof over the boat. He was that skinny. I literally said it and I said it to our Discord and I was like, God, he's
1: skinny. I'll throw but this just, out there to t- tack onto that a little bit. We're we're real gonna- thin we're going to call this a little bit of a teaser to later on in the podcast, but there's a certain Zach Meisel article that's making the rounds this week. And in that article, he referred to Cleveland's chances regarding a certain matter as McKenzie slim. I saw that. And
0: I enjoyed the, the, because it is definitely a line that like you only get if you're a Guardians fan,
1: right? Because that's I
0: don't the, know. Like, the rest of the athletics readers. But right. Thoughts, that was a,
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah hundred percent. So, all right. Ethan, who is your Team Cy Young?
1: I know I just gave my spiel about Emmanuel Kwasé, but for different reasons, I'm going to switch it to Shane Bieber. And it's not because he's been that 2019, 2020 version of himself. It's because you don't see guys reinventing themselves on the fly like Shane Bieber has been. We talked really early in the year, the first two, three podcasts, the first couple of times through the rotation, noting the the down velocity, and we weren't sure if this was after effects of the shoulder injury last year, if this was the new baseballs, uh, the shortened, condensed spring training where the guy's not stretched out yet, was he not throwing as hard as he could be? But as the season gone on, has gone on, the velocity has never recovered. But what Bieber's done is he's shifted to a primary slider pitcher. He's taken on the Kershaw model.
0: and okay, now, Which is, which is kind of been in vogue in the majors going on this in the last couple of years. Yes. A lot of pitchers have gone away from fastball heavy and gone to, it's still the most thrown pitch, but it with its different variations, but it is now in the minority compared to the field.
1: Yes, but not not every pitcher has that good breaking pitch. You're still gonna have the vast majority of guys where a good old fashioned forcing fastball is still their best pitch, and that's probably never going to change in, in today's game. You're gonna find more guys who have better secondary pitches as time goes on, and that's that's always going to be a thing. But you know, even, even now. There's more and more flamethrowers entering the league. There's so many guys whose best pitch is going to be 102, 103-mile-an-hour fastball. The Angels just drafted Ben Joyce out of Tennessee, who uh, I hope they convert into a reliever for his health and safety, but the man throws 105. I I don't know much about that. But Bieber, whose fastball velocity is dipped to 90 to 93 on a good day, has really developed his slider – into, I mean, a wipeout pitch. He's, it's not that he wasn't a swing and miss pitcher before, but he's definitely more reliant on it now. And he's been able to still be successful despite an increased fly ball rate. The knuckle curve is still nasty. He just needed some time to really start putting that together and figuring out his sequencing and how he really wanted to attack guys. And when that slider's on, you know he's going to go out and have a good outing. The fastball velocity doesn't matter. The rest of the pitches don't matter. If he's targeting that low and away quadrant with the slider to righties, Bieber's going to get you six, seven innings. And he proved it. In a game that Cleveland needed him most right before the All-Star break in game one of a doubleheader, he went out and got them nine one-run innings. A complete game. So for all of my concern, all of my griping early on in the year, Shane Bieber has flipped me the bird and has become my first half Cy Young.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at his fangrass uh, <clears throat> page. Um, K percent, as low as it was since his rookie year. Um, I was making sure I wasn't muted. I thought I was. Um, 24.9%. Uh, like I said, the lowest since his rookie year in 2018. But his walk rate, 5.9, which is down tremendously from last year. Um, Yeah, his his walk, walk per walk for nine inning, two point three or two point one three. He's just he's he's definitely has changed the kind of pitcher that he that he is that he was, and became this. uh, Not even it's not a junker baller because he's not he's he's not throwing as fast, but he's not anywhere near as. uh, He's not he's not there yet. Where he's just throwing ninety ninety uh, 80, 89 mile an hour f- uh, pitches that are just everywhere. He's not, he's not maxing it up, but he definitely has, has fixed his mix a lot. And I, and um, I want to
1: take a second to appreciate something that you just said there: the fact that we're n- not necessarily complaining, but just pointing out that Bieber is reinventing himself on the fly and saying, "Oh, not as good since his rookie year." We're complaining about a guy who still strikes out a quarter of the batters he faces, uh, right? That's ridiculous. That's a 25% rate. One in four guys walks into the box against Shane Bieber and strikes out. Yeah. Yeah. But so,
0: yeah, it's a good point. It's hard to argue that. So I I, I always, I always forget that. I remember that 2020 was, you know, a hellscape of a year, but I'm looking at numbers sometimes. And I'm like, he had a 41% crazy rate, but he only pitched like 12, he pitched 12 games. Of course, innings. of course he's have got a whole bunch of people out of here. Anyway, I digress. Shane Bieber is good, is a team Cy Young. admittedly, but uh, you know, sometimes we just gotta throw out guys that we want to talk about. So that's why, why I'm to that's why we had a non-Jose Ramirez category for team MVP. So we can get on here and talk about Jose for you know hours and it'd be fun, but it wouldn't be uh what we want. So okay, moving on to team rookie of the year. Um, I will, uh, I will hit it off. And the, the guy that should be, uh, and uh, honorable mentions, we mentioned, uh, we listed in the rundown, uh, Richard Palacios truly making himself to be a, a, ace pinch hitter, uh, a, a great, um, hitter for the catcher position. You know, when you have catchers that are as bad as we have offensively, um, Richie Palacios made himself be that guy. And it's a shame that he's still not with the team at this point, but I'm happy that he's able to get a little bit more run in Columbus. Um, (coughs) Almost, uh, we have on the, uh, on the rundown Oscar Gonzalez is, uh, OG, uh, came in as almost a non-prospect, uh, when friend mail went down and turned himself into a guy that has, has value with not only this team, but I think around the league, uh, but truly it's the guy that's been here all year. Uh Steven Kwan. 1.4 F4, uh a walk rate a 10.1, 8.5% K rate. Uh that's the second lowest in the league, just behind Luis Arise, and uh, but is the fewest total number in all of baseball. Um truly your your granddad's type of hitter. You know, like it's He's a guy that <clears throat> we've talked at length, ad nauseum, uh, uh, extolling his praises of of, how, of his contact rate. Uh, only one home run on the year, but is he's just a perfect top of the order leadoff hitter. Um, can get a double if he gets through the if it gets through, gets down the line. But he's a guy that gets on base <clears throat> and has a little bit of speed, but. He, he, he took up the steed of one Miles Straw who just seemed to fall into a cavern. Um, and it's, it's great to see that he has been able to come up and be as pro-ready as, he, as, he, as we expect him to be, but as he has been. Um, and really turned himself into a useful Major League Baseball player, which is way harder than what we give it credit for there are so many players year in year out that come up that are highly touted prospects and flame out you know look at look at mark appel who you know drafted number 1 over in, in the in the uh, draft and just now made the majors as a reliever at what like 29 30 something like that and, and you know these guys are as these guys are as good as they are at anything and they don't sometimes they just flame out and, and to be even a major league regular is something that's great and, and something that's that's rare and to see Steve4 be able to do this in in his rookie year um it's just really is it's really great so'm I'm, I'm excited
1: about that yeah baseball is a weird game man and it's something that I really love because nobody knows anything and it's oh yeah too and and that's that's the beauty of it I mean Cody Bellinger is a former league MVP. I think he's hitting like two forty since then. Now granted he chips in and still hits for power and all of that, but right. you know, it, it can happen to anyone yeah, at any given time. Two years then, ago two years
0: ago he was getting MVP and this year I think there was talk that maybe he was going to be non tender this offseason. Like it that's literally like it like that's how
1: that's how quick and that's how fast life can come at you, Ferris Bueller, yeah. and, and it can happen. So. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where Miguel Cabrera is still slaying Cleveland pitching in the year of our Lord 2022, and he's, like, 63. Right. I, I Approximately. So, somewhere in there. Don't quote me on that. It's close. Who knows?
0: All right, let's get your rookie of the year because it has one of my favorite stats,
1: and I'm so happy I found this for you. So... Credit to where credits due. Gerbs did give me this, but uh, let me preface this with: I'm projecting a lot, and I—I I mean a lot. This isn't necessarily my rookie of the half for the or rookie of the year for the first half of the season. This is the guy who I think takes it home at the end of the year for Cleveland, and I'm—I'm going to go ahead and take Nolan Jones here, and it's for a lot of reasons. Um, way back in the lockout during the prospect preview series that has now crowned me as Farmer Ethan. We talked about Nolan Jones and hey, how- let's, let's put it this way. If the boot fits, all right? If the work boot fits, you got to wear it. There was a John Deere joke in there somewhere that we probably could have made, but I think we both missed it. I don't know. I don't know I far enough to know if there's John how, Deere boots. <laughs> Yeah, there was probably just a get on your tractor and ride joke somewhere. But there you go. Jones, way back when, there was still uncertainties about when he was going to be able to play, recovering from off season ankle surgery. And this was a guy who was drafted out of high school, who had, you know, normal start to his pro career, but then the pandemic happened, and it cost him his entire 2020. And for a guy that young, you weren't sure what was going to happen to him, and for every pound for pound, I think no one will tell you this too, his 2021 was not up to snuff. It wasn't up to his standards, it wasn't what fans expected, and there was a lot of chatter kind of like there was last year around Bo Naylor, where people were just saying, oh, you gotta you gotta trade this guy, he's not it, Yeah, he's a top five prospect in the system, but you gotta get rid of him, which... First of all, you never trade guys their lowest value. Look what's happening with Josh Naylor this year. But back then, or Bo Naylor, I'm sorry. Uh, but back then I said, why are we trading Josh Naylor? <laughs> I'm putting words in my own mouth. Back then, though, I did say that if there was any prospect <laughs> in Cleveland's farm system that was going to benefit for a trial by fire, it was going to be Nolan Jones. And it was as soon as he's healthy, get him to the bigs, watch him go to work. And that's that. That is basically what happened. He he finished up a slightly extended rehab assignment with Columbus, and he's now had a uh, little over thirty plate appearances with Cleveland. He's hitting three thirty three, four fifty five, five nineteen. He has an eighteen point two percent walk rate. Great, does have a twenty seven percent K rate, but that's about in line with his career norms. I, we've talked about this in our Discord. Jones got a bad rep because anybody can look at his fan graphs page and be upset by the K rate. But what a lot of people don't realize is that he's an extremely patient hitter. And that, that is what comes back to bite him. He's not a free swinger. He's not chasing everything that comes his way. He's as likely to work a 3-0 count to 3-2 and an 0-2 count to 3-2 as anybody in all of right. baseball. And then his issue is just not swinging and leverage accounts and striking out looking a lot And I think he's shown that. So when you watch him play at the major league level, you see a 24 year old with as much poise and plate awareness as anybody that you could possibly imagine at the professional level. And I think it plays in Cleveland's new world of contact oriented hitters with excellent plate discipline and vision. Nolan Jones might be their perfect prototype of the blend of contact power and so far, transitioning to right field, okay defense. But the reason that I'm giving him this award right now, and the stat that Gerbs is alluding to that is so funny, Nolan Jones currently has 10% of the total amount of plate appearances that first-base hybrid DH Owen Miller has with Cleveland. Nolan Jones is only .3 F-war behind Owen Miller, for the entirety of the 2022 season, yeah. Owen Miller possesses a 0.6 FR for his entire service year with Cleveland so far. No time on the IL, no time down in the minors. Jones has, and I have to double check this number, 33 plate appearances and has a 0.3 FR already. <laughs> so take that for what you will. I'm projecting hard. It's small sample sizes. I don't think he'll continue to hit. 333 with a slugging percentage over 500 the rest of the way with a 176 wrc who knows who knows but who knows if, if nolan jones is hitting 280 and continues to draw walks the way that he does that's an immensely valuable player in this lineup
0: first one sure. absolutely and he's come in and and saved right field and made it a <clears throat> made the outfield almost a a plus outfield or at least a a major league average outfield compared to what it's been in the years past um and, and you know to be able to do that so quickly with uh so few plate appearances and and it's a move that I think it's not a calling up Nolan Jones is not a Palacios move where he's optioned back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You put, you, you call up Nolan Jones <clears throat> when you're ready to have him up here and he stays. And it's late enough in the year to where you're not worried about service time. You don't do that manipulation as much anymore. And so I, I, I you really feel like he's just the guy that they have now. And he, that's where he's going to be. So, um, I am as excited about Nolan Jones as I am about almost anybody on this team. And I am very, uh, very ready to see what he does in the second half of his rookie season uh, and, and so forth and, and on in the rest of his career. Uh, we're going to skip, we are going to say biggest surprise because I want to get to the big section at the end, but I do want to talk about uh, just biggest disappointment on the year. Um, as reason I were talking about this in the, uh, in the, pre-pod section um we had said that it would have probably been the bullpen but uh i made the point to ethan that coming into the year the bullpen was the the unit of the roster that we had the most question marks about and given that they they can't be the biggest disappointment they have not been great admittedly um brian shaw continues to exist um, uh, but they've made reclamation projects of Eli Morgan and De Los Santos has, has come in and given them meaningful good innings, uh, mixed in with some, you know, God awful ones. Uh, Trevor Stephan looks like a legit setup guy, uh, after after last year's decent, uh, rule five year, Um, Sam Hentges seems to be the the lefty out of the bullpen that they go to nowadays. Uh, Anthony Ghost is there and is ready to be probably DFA'd at any point in time whenever they're ready to make a 40-man move. Um, So, yes, the bullpen has been disappointing, but it can't be the biggest disappointment when somebody else is on the roster. And uh, as we were looking through just the... Just the, the the season to this date of of the Cleveland's gar- the Cleveland Guardians roster, um, when, on Fangraphs when you go to the team page and you go to the batting, it'll give you like all the batters at the top and they sort obviously by f four because it's their stat. They start at the top and until you you know you see Jose, you see Andres Jimenez, you see uh, the one and only Josh Naylor uh, at the top because you had to say his name full out, Josh Naylor. You can't just call him Josh. You can't just call him Naylor. He has to be Josh Naylor. Uh, and then there's a large swath of pitcher names that are there because pitchers don't hit anymore. Uh, players do pitch, but pitchers don't hit, um, unless you're Shohei Otani. And then there's a bottom section of guys that are negative F4 guys. And these for Cleveland, this is a bevy of guys like Oscar Mercado, Ernie Clement, Yu Chang guys that shouldn't be on the roster, yes, I said or in a comment. But at the bottom, the biggest disappointment is of course Fran Mill Reyes. A negative point eight FR on the season. Um someone that we all I think thought was as sure a lock for 30 home runs on this roster as there was. And and sure he could absolutely he could go on a tear. He has eight already. I mean, it would be it'd be a historic tear. But Aaron Judge has hit 33. He had 34 tonight. It could happen that he could make 30 by the end of the year if he gets hot enough and stays hot. But to be a, to be where he's at as a hater on the team, to so be the point where Terry Pluto's writing, will they trade Fran Mel Reyes articles and you know, get him, get him off the roster and make way for Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, it's, you, you, you earn biggest disappointment. Am I, am I wrong in that, Ethan?
1: No, you're not, but Terry Pluto, call me. You can attend my lecture on stop selling guys at their lowest point just because (laughs) they're having a bad season. And, uh, we'll have a we'll have a fun conversation there but no you're you're not wrong at all i think friend meal in our season preview podcast was a guy that i picked to hit 40 home runs he's yeah. long said that that was a dream of his and based on his career trajectory i didn't think that was unachievable in his age 26 season but with the ridiculous spike in his k rate his incredibly poor batted ball luck i mean if it doesn't leave the yard it's right at somebody so it's it's either Fran Meal or it's Miles Straw, but Straw's shown a lot more signs of life recently than even Fran Miel, who by oh, yeah. his standards is turning things somewhat around. But yeah, it, it, it was always going to be one of those two guys. And I, I think I have to agree with Fran Meal. Yeah, it's
0: Straw has definitely come alive at, in that nine spot lately, um, hitting, as we talked about last week. Hitting for a little bit of power, pulling the ball more, which is great. Uh, you know, he's not being he's not being played as a left-handed batter. You know, that, that was a, a thing that they were almost. I, I don't know if they actually were, but you easily could have been playing him as a shifted left-handed batter and having that guy in short right field. And, and he's he's starting to pull a little bit more, um, get some doubles in the gap, and and show off his speed. So I, as, as bad as he was, and he was pretty god-awful for a while uh it, it definitely is fran miller's biggest disappointment but so uh, the big part that i wanted to get to and we had alluded to it as we said um there's the zach meisel article that uh went around twitter um was it yesterday or was it the day before Might i think it was the day before i think it was actually the day before so um if you are not a big follower of uh, Major League Baseball in mass. Um, the big news that has been happening just before All-Star break, and i surprised it wasn't, it was talked about enough, but I'm surprised it was talked about more during the All-Star game and All-Star break. Um, Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals turned down a 15-year, $440 million offer from the Washington Nationals to uh, be basically there for his career, or the vast majority of it um and so now they have completely shifted gears on the 180 uh pulled the e brake on it and Washington is uh shopping Soto around the league uh the 23 year old Juan Soto would easily be the best hitter traded in the last in the recent memory i don't know that there's been a guy that's been as good as Juan Soto uh at what he doing and what he does, is hitting the ball, um, over the last couple of years, I, I the Machado trade made made, you know, just that someone has been in the majors. Obviously, like Fernando Tatis got traded and he's been great, um, when he's healthy, but uh, an established guy in the majors, I don't know that there's been a guy that's been as good as Soto has been, and has possibly been talked, is, is being talked about, just being traded, um, but Zach Meisel's piece was should the guardians go after Soto? should they be involved in this sweepstakes? and um we were gonna have mitchell on the pod today he's just taking a break today um extending his all-star breakout so uh but I'm, I'm happy that it's you and me talking to this because as we were discussing this in our in our uh discord i almost said slack um you weren't around when we had a slack uh you we actually come down. it came down on this on the opposite, I think, where I am actually in favor of the idea, and you are against the idea of it. So let me lay out why I think it's a good idea. Um, Obviously, there's a there's the prospect cost to it all that is is going to be heavy, super heavy. And the the likelihood of, of Cleveland being able to sign Soto to a long term deal when he's turning down four hundred and forty million dollars from Washington. It's kind of obvious being a Scott Boris agent Scott Boris uh, player as well, and he wants to try free agency. So any team that's acquiring him has to know that you're basically not going to be able to sign him long term. So you're giving up prospects for two and a half years of Soto because he's a, he's ar, uh, arbitration eligible year two and year three the next two years. And then he used be free agency after that. Um, but you're looking at a term of prospects, top four guys, you know, something like that in your, at least in your, in your uh, farm system. So for Cleveland, if they're, that's looking at guys like your Bo Naylor, which maybe or may not. I don't know the Bo Naylor because they got Kubert Ru- uh, Ruiz, right? At, at catcher. So they're not looking at a long term catcher spot. So Naylor may be staying, but you're looking at guys like Valera, who is recently, who is, you know, we talk about being off limits, and that's the one guy that isn't touched. Valera has to be in that deal if you're trading for Soto. You're trading guys like Brian Rocchio. You're trading pitchers like the one and only Logan Allen. You're trading pitchers like Daniel Espino, the 100-mile-an-hour kid. That's at least, uh, Out of those four, that's a lot to give up for a rental, A rental, air quotes. I, I'm not on video. Ethan can see my air quotes on my fingers, but I'm, t- I'm telling you on the podcast, there's air quotes there. Rental for two years of Juan Soto. So even if it's those four, Valera, Rocchio, Espino and Logan Allen. That's a big chunk out of Cleveland's prospect hall. But what have we talked about all year? I'm trying to do the Brian Windhurst. What have we talked about all year? We've talked about them needing to make a trade to make trades to get rid of the glut of talent that is at the upper levels of this system. And trading for a Juan Soto, trading for one of the the best hitters in baseball would absolutely do that. It does accelerate your timeline. Absolutely. You got, you, you're you likely going to see Ahmed Rosario stay at shortstop in that case. You're going to see Andres Jimenez stay at second base. You're going to see a catcher move made where they cannot have Austin Hedges be the, the hitter catcher that's back there. Not going to happen on a instantly World Series contender team. But it, it, it is a lot, but it does, it fixes the problems that Cleveland has. And it takes away some of the issues that uh, we, we see down the road of getting rid of this glut of, of players out there. Yes. You would be taking on a lot of salary. So is going to make bank these next two years. If he's making 17.1 in year one of arbitration, you have to believe that next year is going to be over 20 mil. And the year after that is going to be well over as well. But you have Jose Ramirez and Juan Soto in your lineup. Have fun, American League Central. Have fun, Joe Ryan, Dylan Cease, Luis uh Giolito, Lucas Giolito. Could not remember your first name. Have fun, Ter- uh, Tarek Skubal. Try to get, try to pitch to those two. So that's where I'm at. That's my plus side. Go
1: ahead and give me your negative side to this. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to poo-poo this entirely. I recognize wholeheartedly that Juan Soto at 23 is a living, breathing, walking future Hall of Famer. There's no way that he's not going to make it if he keeps doing this. And I do think with two and a half years and his contract expiring coinciding with when Shane Bieber's does, that's your window. You've created it. Can't really argue that. Couple of problems with that, though. First and foremost is Washington's asking price. You laid out four of Cleveland's top prospects. And with eight guys on the top 100 list, most of any team, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a better offer from anywhere else in baseball. Cleveland just has the ammunition to throw at it. Washington is currently asking for roughly four to five high-level prospects close to Major League Ready, if not already there. So, you know, you, you want to go out to, you know, if L.A. wants to make an offer, this probably costs them Dustin May and Bresdar Gratteral, and some other high-level guys that are climbing it through their system. You want to send him off to St. Louis. This costs you Nolan Gorman, Matthew Liberatore, names like that. The other side of this is that in Washington's ideal world, they will also get somebody to eat the albatross of Patrick Corbin's contract, which has three-year... Two and a half years remaining. It expires the same time as Soto hits free agency. But he's due, in that time frame, still over $60 million. Cleveland's not going to eat that contract. And if Cleveland was going to pull off that trade, you would have to make the return package to Washington so sweet that you could convince them to keep Patrick Corbin or you would have to negotiate in a third team that you would then have to give something yourself to to take on that contract for you. So no matter where they end up going, that brings that list of four prospects to six. You end up having to include potentially Bo Naylor to a third team that's their salary. You would have to possibly send Nolan Jones to Washington as a fifth prospect. It's not that simple. And even like you said, by the time that final year of arbitration rolls around for Juan Soto, I'd be shocked if it didn't cross the $30 million threshold. Oh yeah. With his performance, the inflation, the whole nine yards, I really think he's going to be due 33 to 35 million that final year. But you take him on this year at 17, he's already your most expensive player. The other issue that I have is that. Actually it would be, it'd, it'd be Corbin, but yes. Yes, if you take on Corbin, he's your most expensive player. But if you find a mystery third team to take on that Albatross, then it's it's still one soda. The other issue, yes, there's buzz and excitement that the Guardians have a new owner. And yes, that brings an influx of cash to the team. But Blitzer, and the small market baseball team, frankly, this isn't a move that raises the ceiling that much. So that is a move that raises the floor more so than the ceiling. Yes, Cleveland may run higher average payrolls. You may see more years of 70 to 90 million, even in some down years potentially, but this isn't a ball club that's ever going to run with a $200 million plus payroll. Blitzer by himself does not bring the level of wealth that uh, the New York Mets got. Right. So Steve Cohen, that was the name that I was thinking of. So at the same time, you would have to have full commitment from ownership that if you pull off that trade, you're going out and getting a number two arm to put next to Shane Bieber for the next two years. You're going out and fixing every hole in the bullpen. You're getting rid of Austin Hedges. That means either promoting Bo Naylor or going out and getting a catcher with what's left. I think this is a move that no matter how you slice it leaves the farm system absolutely barren. And Cleveland has never been an organization that is going to nuke everything that they've built for just a two-year chance. Because unless you make every single move at this trade deadline and really push a weak central, you would have to go after Sean Murphy or Tyler Stevenson. You would have to Maybe go get Frankie Montas, package them together on a rental just to not only win the Central, but then actually make some noise against loaded Yankees teams. The Astros are still there. Seattle was surging. There's no telling what the Mariners are going to be by the end of the year. Baltimore has become a juggernaut, and yeah. The Angels still suck. But at at the end of the day, I don't see Cleveland – just hitting the kill switch to make that play. And, and don't get me wrong, I would love to cheer for Juan Soto for two years, knowing full well that he's going to be gone in that time. But there is no world where you can fully, realistically tell me, yeah, they won a World Series in 2023 or 2024. It doesn't happen. The Yankees and Astros aren't going away in that time frame. The Dodgers are not going away in that time frame. It's just not a move that Makes sense to me or the way this organization operates.
0: Yeah, Those are definitely, uh, definitely good points, uh, and I it, it doesn't sway me. It, I definitely I definitely agree with everything you've said. Everything you've said is it, it's, are good points, and it it does not feel like a Cleveland move to make, but it does it it does some things that. We've talked about need that need done and and that's where
1: that's where I'm at on my end. So now does this make me reconsider our talk from two weeks ago about going and getting Brian Reynolds at the deadline? Absolutely it does because he's, he's... now suddenly an affordable player Right proxy on what's out on the market.
0: Right. If you're looking and... at yeah, if if you're trying to make peace with Valera Rocchio, Allen, Espino going out and you can say I can get Brian Reynolds and David Beddar for two of those guys, Sign that up. looks, that looks way more attractive in, you know, than, than what you uh, were looking at previously as, you know, the best hitter out there. But uh, yeah.
1: I like, changed my mind. Right. Like you said, one, the, the, one the, the sh- yeah,
0: the, the Sean Murphy, Frankie Montas, Combo, you know, with with not knowing what's going on with Aaron Savali's wrist, with watching just Zach Zach please pitch at all, um, you know, you definitely want to get some some help in that in that uh, rotation, and um, yeah, so I mean, it definitely does it definitely does change some things um, for the team. I I still think I still think you go and do it because when has this opportunity come across for you? I do agree with you though that it is not in their mo to say push all the chips in the middle and say F it, let's go." It, it's, however, I will say they have gotten raked over the coals in years past from other from fans for not doing that when there is an opportunity. When we had those years of Frankie and Jose and the Stars and Scrubs roster. Where Jay Bruce was the best hitter that was acquired, you know. So there is some moment of that, but with the new owner in, I don't know that he really cares so much about what used to happen, and more so about what could, and and what the future looks like for this team. Obviously, you're hoping that maybe George Valera turns into Juan Soto, or you know, or a, at least a Brian Reynolds, a Brian a, Reynolds esque player, you know, or a a facsimile of Soto that, uh, you know, you can have for years under team control and arbitration and your window is extended as long as your window is extended because making the playoffs seems to be more important than winning the World Series. I mean, that's just how the team operates. And we can have arguments about whether or not that's right or whether or not that's how how it looks, but that's where it seems to be. Um, that conversation could have been a
1: podcast in and of itself.
0: Right. And maybe it will be next week. So, um, when, when they acquire one, (laughs) Hey, they did it. Um, but, uh, we are over our hour guys. So, um, I am, uh, gonna, gonna call it quits. Let's, uh, look forward to, uh, this second half. Uh, don't forget tomorrow's game is available on Apple TV plus that means that you get to watch inaccurate stats in the bottom right-hand corner of the game. Um, I don't know if they've gotten more accurate or not. They are, are oftentimes inaccurate as they go along.
1: But I can imagine it's just like following my live tweets.
0: <laughs> we, uh, you know, it's it'll be good. It's, it's, I like when, when Cleveland is on national TV and we get to be on Apple TV Plus tomorrow. So um, cheers to that. Cheers to, to all those things. We uh, don't have to fight with a valley app, so. Um, but guys, you guys all have a uh, a great tomorrow because this will be up in the morning. Can't say have a great night, but have a have a happy tomorrow and have a great weekend. You all take care.
1: Hello and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host Frank Lavallo.